Don't mind him, monkey. He's just a big disappointment. Like things that look like DVDs from far away. <gasps> DVDs! Ah, oh, books. Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to bookguys.ca slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. This is the Book Guys Show. We're back again, folks. Books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. And uh, joining me, I am Paul Alves, the book guy, is uh, Greg the Book Guy Hello, everybody. How you doing? I am doing well. Sir Jimmy. Hot off of the track at the NASCAR Speedway in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the last uh, tweet I got from you was uh, I'm at 155 miles an hour right now. That's so, right. <laughs> folks, don't tweet and drive NASCARs. <laughs> uh, we have uh, Mr. Jim the Book Guy Phillips as well. Good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Very well, very well, Jim. And uh, Mr. Kamanzi, Constable, author and book guy extraordinaire, uh, joining us once again as a guest. How are you doing, Kamanzi? I'm so excited to be here. After the show, I'm going to Disneyland. <laughs> Disneyland pales by comparison, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Just saying, just saying. Uh, I hear someone uh, tinkling glasses. Is that you, Kamanzi? Are you uh, having rum with the parrots? No, I am not. <laughs> I just I love your Skype picture this uh, this week because last time you had a tie on now you're you've got the ultimate like Hawaiian shirt on you're surrounded by parrots. Yeah, we're that was shot in Maui and uh, those parrots really. My wife got them on her and no problem. Me, I got them. I was like a little girl. <laughs> very nice, very nice. So, gentlemen, uh, it's been a big week in book news. Uh, <clears throat> I figure we might start uh, right off the bat, Mister Phillips. This was one of the the news stories that you brought to our attention. Uh, the War of the World, the Words. Sorry, there I had to slip and say War of the Worlds. <laughs> uh, it so, might be coming to the, never know. Yeah, so, so what's happening exactly, Jim? Uh, well, it turns out uh, that PayPal has been um, uh, hassling, has been uh, arguing, has been trying to convince our friends over at Smashwords uh, that they need to remove uh, all of their titles uh, that include, quote, Rape, bestiality, uh, or incest. Uh, Because paying for those things via PayPal apparently violates the PayPal terms of service, probably because those things violate the terms of service of the credit card processors, MasterCard, Visa, and so forth. Well, that's kind of a, you know what, Uh, that's kind of a vague uh, list of items there. Because, I mean, there's a lot of books that include, you know, rape and attempted rape. Uh, just saying, like, there's a lot of, I mean, even some, you know, Stephen King stuff and, uh, you know, just uh, any book that involves a rape cannot be paid for through PayPal. Is that what we're saying? Uh, that's what they're trying to say, yeah. Uh, this isn't the first time PayPal's, uh, you know, gotten into uh, this kind of mess. I mean, uh, the last time was when they uh, refused to 
Um, yeah, I know, Greg, you can't talk about that with Rebecca beside you. <laughs> um, this is, uh, this. I mean, PayPal before had a problem with WikiLeaks, where they cut them off uh, at, at the request of the credit card companies, uh, cut off their donation page. I believe uh, PirateBay.org and a lot of other sites had their uh, PayPal donations cut off. Yeah, I think I think in large in large respects, although you know we talk about PayPal doing this, I think they're they're really kind of caught in the middle here because it really is coming from the credit card companies, and right. you know PayPal is just the middleman and you know trying to play both sides, and you know so they're they're kind of stuck in in a bad place there. You know, it's 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 one thing when you know, like, and I haven't seen any real censorship on iTunes as far as. Uh, books and a lot of the other i mean amazon's pulled a few titles but it was all, always because of licensing agreement now this is kind of a slippery soap uh, a sip, slippery slope because when your money starts telling you that you can't buy something because it doesn't like what you're buying you know and, and as digital money becomes our money you know when my wallet which is paypal online tells me i can't buy something sorry your money's no good here that's wow you know we talk about book uh, bookstore censorship and library censoring books. Now your money is telling you that you can't buy a book. Yeah, but to be fair, there are other ways that people people don't have to use PayPal. I mean, Smashwords doesn't have to use PayPal. You know, they, certainly they do because it's convenient, and you know, ninety percent of the connected world uses PayPal. Right. You know, but you could, if Smashwords wanted to, you know, just send them a check. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, I mean, it, if it comes to that, I mean, let's hope that I know, they but can you work know, something out in the digital will, world. But, uh, I mean, really, if I want to, if I want to download a book and read it right now on my tablet, and I'm buying it off Smashwords, you know, the whole sending a check, you know, adds two weeks to the instant, you know, gratification process there. <laughs> so, is there some sort of PDF reader in the background that's actually scanning through all the Smashwords copy and and picking out? even just the words out of context and, and flagging them? That's a good question. And who pays for that? I mean, in the end, do, do I not buying, even if I'm not buying a book that has rape in it, um, do I still now have to pay 10 cents more for that book? Because, uh, you know, a PayPal or Smashwords now has to go in and uh, basically censor their books and sort them. And I think, too, Paul, something that I had read this morning in the email from the founder of Smashwords was if they give in to this demand, you know, what's going to be next? You know, what are they going to, what is, are the credit card companies going to be demand that's gone next? Yeah, you know, it's, it just starts that way. And I, like I said, those are really vague terms, like just rape. Uh, like I can see if, if the book is how to rape people, maybe it shouldn't be in a bookstore. But in, quite often, it's a maybe it's a, it's a bad guy. It's a bad guy that's <laughs> doing this, you know. In the and he's you know vilified as the you know the antagonist. What's wrong with that story? If our hero comes in at the end and and stops this, you know, like there's been tons of episodes of CSI that you probably couldn't buy with PayPal either. And, and you know, now that I think about it, can you still use your credit card on iTunes to purchase television programming that has rape and murder and stuff in it? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how far they take us, or or try to take this, or. Did, it'll be did they try to? Did they try to disguise this as a liability issue on the credit? Like, are the credit card companies coming in and saying, you know, this is a liability issue, we don't want to be sued, and as such, we have to extend that liability onto our partners, or are they trying to pull a fast one here in some other manner? 
Uh, that's a good question. We'll, we'll have to keep a, a tab on this and uh, see where it goes, really. Paul, that's twice in one podcast you've said that I have a good question. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, you know another good question we uh just moving on i know uh, we shouldn't be doing book news at the top but this is you know, more stuff to talk about uh, uh mr mr ott the book guy uh recently here in toronto there's been a big big hoopla and i want to ask you uh, our some of our friends from all around the world who are with us today uh, about libraries and uh recently our our public libraries toronto public has decided to put advertising on their late payment slips and on the little slips you get with the book that tell you when you have to bring them back. Little little advertising on the back of that slip. And it's caused this big hoopla. Yeah, you'd think that they were putting satanic verses on the back or something like that. It was it's it's crazy, but I, I'm in favor of it. Anything that's gonna make it so that my public library system is available to the kids and, and uh, they're going to be able to offer the materials that they do and, and timely materials and the classic materials. Keep it going. I like creative uh, I like creative funding. Right. And, and and I think a lot of these sponsors it's like uh, there's a bank that's a sponsor. I mean it's not like anything controversial. It's a bank, you know, a, a place where, you know, you they'll put money and they don't give you any interest and they'll give you a loan maybe. You know, it's not like uh, nothing to do with contraception or any kind of social issue. Uh, these are pretty vanilla advertisers that they're talking about. I mean, uh, where you guys are at, uh, Mr. Jimmy, Jim Phillips, Kamanzi, uh, advertising in the library, anything happening there? Not, I don't know. not here. No, I, I have to say no. And would would it be an issue if you got like a little thing on the back uh, of your library slip that said McDonald's? <laughs> I don't think it'd be an issue, Paul. Like I'm with Greg. There is just so much good material in the library that so many people rely on. And I know even people that don't have internet access that go to the library for that. And anything we can do to just keep that going, I think would be a good thing. Yeah. That's I what think I they should they should extend it. Maybe even have like you know discounts if you bring your product back early. And say you bring it back on time and you get fifty cents off a pizza at uh, Pizza Pizza or Domino's or whatever, whatever it is you kids eat down in the states. Right, and and I, I mean <laughs> even if it's like something small, like the library is getting sixty thousand dollars a year for this. That's one more employee they can keep or a new employee they can hire. You know, like when I was talking to the. Um, some of the uh, librarians at the library conference, they, uh, that's one of the problems they had was they couldn't get new uh, workers. They just couldn't hire new workers. So they, the, the best they could do is keep the, uh, you know, keep the people that have been there for 30 years. And, and uh, that was the issue they're having with ebooks is because people just can't, uh, a lot of the existing library workers have never used an e-reader, you know. I know we're having a little trouble there, Greg. It's uh, Skype again. Not do? with me, man. I'm I'm not hey. saying a word. But I did want I did want to <laughs> pipe in and say, you know, this it's a the library system. From what I'm understanding, is they're they're suffering from um, brain drain now because they can't afford to pay smart people to actually to actually attend the books and and do the work that needs to be done. 
So the people yeah, who actually do go to off. school and train to be librarians, they have to go and they have to get into the educational system or they have to go into something entirely different because they can't afford to be librarians. Oh, they're struggling to, to keep their current staff. They can't hire right. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who wants to, who's, who's, who aspires to be a librarian anymore? And that's unfortunate. I'm not saying that that's a bet that I'm not saying that librarian is not a good career. I'm saying it's not a good career. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like you can't support a family on it. That's right. Yeah. And, and well, I think a lot of the problem again is, you know, there's people in the library that they're, that's, they're wonderful people and they've been at the same library for 40 years and they do a great job, but you know, they're being handed e-readers nowadays because they're basically coming in and saying, here, we have a new system. This is how it, how it works. And a lot of these librarians, you know, can barely not use a computer and not through any fault of their own. I mean, whatever comes out 30 years from now, I'm probably not going to know how to use it either and not care. And what know? better place, what better place to put the advertising than on the late slips and, and in particular on the e-readers? Like the e-readers is a perfect spot for you to put those little ribbon ads for the library, for the bank, for the... Mm-hmm. Dominoes yeah. for, for whatever it happens to be. That's in, and you know what? It can be targeted marketing for your municipality. For it, it can be like pinpoint accuracy as far as you know. You can get uh, you can get the directions to your local yeah. uh, drugstore to get yeah. uh, baby food. You know, here's you know, twenty cents it, off of baby food. That's the whole thing. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there's. A, I heard a lot of the people talking on the news talk here in, in Toronto about all oh, the evil corporations are getting their filthy fingers in the library. Well, first of all, if if they're paying money to help keep the library alive, they're not filthy evil corporations. That if anything, that's one of the good things they're doing. Second of all, it doesn't have to be a huge corporation. It could be uh, you know Joe's Wiener Shop. You know, he's got a new special: two hot dogs and fries. He might want to advertise it at his local library. You know, and that, it might be a very reasonable rate for him. He can't afford national advertising or even, you know, citywide advertising. But if he can do it very geographical, if he can pinpoint his neighborhood. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like in that kind of a situation, everybody wins. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, uh, we'll follow that as well because I know it's still a big uh, big hoopla here in Toronto. And we'll, we'll take a look. I'm going to take a, some do some research for next week and see. Uh, what uh, other libraries around the world have done as far as supplementing their income in uh, you know these troubled times, we'll call them. Uh, gentlemen, over the last week, I have found myself a new book podcast. And I know we've discussed before that doing podcasts, you have less time to listen to podcasts. But I found one that's pretty straightforward, straight to the point. They usually do about one book every episode. Um, and it's called, I don't know if any of you have uh, heard this before, it's uh, Books and Nachos. And I've, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, the, this is actually the first episode. I've been going through their back catalog, but uh, I found uh, one where he was talking about uh, meeting Lou Frigno and talking about Lou Frigno's uh, autobiography that I believe came out like eight years ago. This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book fiction and non-fiction, graphic novels and more. We're here to help you find something great to read. I've decided to go beyond the films, as we often do here at Books and Nachos, and look at Lou Ferrigno's autobiography, My Incredible Life as the Hulk. Now, I bought this book years ago, but it was honestly by accident. I was attending Wizard World Chicago how do you buy a book by accident? 
I'm just saying. <laughs> the convention, and Lou was in attendance. I wanted an autograph on my Incredible Hulk Returns DVD, and Lou was charging for autographs, charging for pictures with him, and charging for his book. Paying for the autograph and a picture of my wife with the Hulk, we were then strong-armed into buying his book. He gave us a hard sell, and we finally gave in and bought it, but I ended up feeling cheated because the book came with a free autograph. But when I tried to get the book signed, having already paid separately for another autograph, Lou tried to charge us another $20 to sign the book, so we gave up and walked away with the book unsigned. And a little bitter about that, the book has sat on my bookshelf now for seven years, and many times I've thought about reading it, but only with now playing's deep dive into the Hulk, specifically Lou Ferrigno's years working with it, and my reviewing every single episode of the series on the Venganza Media Gazette, did I take it down from my bookshelf and give it a read. Truth be told, I love biographies and autobiographies, specifically of entertainment figures. From Bruce Campbell to Mick Jagger to Jim Morrison to Kiss, I've read authorized and unauthorized tales of their rises to fame, their most famous works, and then often their falls. As such, I know the way these stories go. The epitome of the autobiography for me is Tracy Lord's. What we want to know is what life was like when she was a porn star, hiding her age, who knew what and what the porn star lifestyle was like. But before we got to the money shot, if you will, in that book, first we had to read several chapters about her broken home life, her manipulative stepfather, and so on. Then the meat of the story seemed all too quick, and as we moved on to Tracy's post-porn life, where she tried to make herself out to be more important and more legitimate than she really is, in my opinion. So, I was really shocked when in Lou Ferrigno's autobiography, only four pages are spent telling of Lou's early life, his abusive father, and what it was like to grow up as a child wearing a hearing aid the size of his chest. No, this book is truly about his life as the Hulk, not his life in general with the Incredible Hulk as a selling point. And in those four pages of pre-Hulk life, a primary focus is Lou's childhood obsession with the Hulk. Normally, when an actor associated with a role talks of his pre-existing love of the material, I am naturally cynical. It is usually at best an exaggeration of a true event, spinning the reading of a comic one time into a major fandom of the material. But here, Lou has such details of hiding his Hulk comics from his rageaholic father that I found myself believing it. And this is aided by the quote at the beginning of chapter 2, where the director of Pumping Iron, the bodybuilding documentary that launched both Ferrigno and Arnold Schwarzenegger into the spotlight, states that during filming, Lou stated the reason he built his body so much was because he wanted to be the Hulk. So there you go. There you go. The money shot. Just have to get that in there on one uh, book guys episode eventually. Uh, yeah. Did so, say, did you say why the show is called and nachos books and nachos? No, <laughs> no. And, and uh, let's just take a look at their site. And, uh, and I know there's there's a whole theme to the site. Uh, uh, books and nachos. I'll, I wanted to give the URL, so it is booksandnachos.com is where you can find their show. And uh, I've invited them to put some episodes of their uh, shows here. Is he a one-man show? Didn't didn't sound like he was talking to any co-host or anything like that. Uh, no, I have believe I have heard other voices uh, in in the podcast, but uh, it is ran, run by Vinganza Media. So books and nachos. I don't know, maybe a reference to uh, you know a Mexican background. I'm not sure. Not sure. Books and nachos. 
so so what's the what's the layout? Is it, does he typically just sit there and talk? I mean, it pretty much uh, one book starts one off. Book talks about it. Talks about it. the one book and end episode, and they're like uh, fourteen minutes long, so they're quickies. So if you're not really interested in that book, you can just go through their catalog to the next one, uh, rinse, repeat. Uh, not bad, decent. Uh, and uh, even the Lou Frigno one sounds pretty good, but they're, apparently they're hard to find. They're they're all in the back of Lou Frigno's van. <laughs> you know, I was going to say Lou Frigno is uh, probably only about this week would he be uh, relevant. He's having he's on uh, he's on Celebrity Apprentice, and uh, he's been referenced in the. Uh, Avengers, because the Hulk is coming out in the Avengers, and they had. A really yeah, I wonder awesome if he got another trip. cameo. Like he did, he did I, one of the one yeah, of the Hulk movies. About that, but one of the Hulk movies, he was a security guard. Security guard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good times, my friend. Actually, him, him, and George Takei had a little bit of a hissy fit that, that they covered on Entertainment Tonight. No, 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 no. All right, there you go. Uh, I have a book I finished this week, and it Show is, off. it is, fiction, fiction, fiction. You and you're reading your books one every week. I know. Show off. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I read two this week, and the, <sighs> the, 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 the second one I read, I really tr- tried to time my, the, the end of the last chapter so that I would be nowhere near a garbage can. Because <laughs> it would have went straight in. Uh, I'll put that review on the site and not waste the listener's time. But uh, it will be a comical uh, review of that one. It's the only reason I didn't want to be near a garbage can because I knew I wouldn't have the book for reference later when writing the review. Holly, is that that one that was lying around work and we both looked at it and said, this isn't even like a whole chapter in a George R. R. Martin book? No, no. That, no. Du- that double – you guys, you had to see this one at work. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut into your thing. <laughs> you had to see this thing. It was like double-spaced, 18-point font, and it was still only like 120 pages. It yeah, we got 30 minutes left in the podcast, and I could probably oh. recite it as the audiobook right now. And still have time for book news. <laughs> this uh, is true. No, the one I read, actually, I, I because I enjoyed the car wreck that it was, I'm going to talk about it next week. Uh, and put the review on the site. Uh, so it's not as bad as I, I, you know, it was just bizarre. It was like watching a car wreck. Uh, but this one I did enjoy. This is uh, Flat Screen by Adam Wilson. And uh, Flat Screen by Adam Wilson is a slacker novel. I wish uh, uh, Chris, the book guy, was here today. Because, you know, he says there's only, you know, uh, we go by that whole, you know, there's only like five different types of story. You know, Boy Meets Girl, Fish Stranger Out of Water. Comes to town. Str- Stranger Comes to Town. Exactly. Well, this one's completely different. Uh, this one's more in the, uh, more like in the catcher in the rye uh, realm of uh, man tries his best to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> so uh, Adam Wilson tells a story of Eli Schwartz, who is the ultimate slagger, slacker. He's uh, the protagonist. And uh, he certainly tries to do as little of anything as he can in life. Uh, he's the kind of guy, he finished high school and has pretty much done nothing since. Uh, while his friends have gone to college and gone on to do stuff, uh, all he does is uh, he does is mooch off his mom and dad. And uh, now his mom and dad have gone through divorce, uh, so uh, mom's losing the house. You know, so Eli's. Uh, you know, now they're in a condo, and uh, you know they've each got like a little tiny room. Uh, Eli, Eli starts getting into some serious drugs, uh, from prescription pills to cocaine to Viagra. He does it all. He does it all. <laughs> so. Um, he then meets uh, Seymour Khan, who is this former star of the small screen. 
And he, uh, this Seymour guy, he's now in a wheelchair. So he's, he's a paraplegic, but he's a, also a sex addict. <laughs> so he, he starts doing drugs with Eli and uh, they start partying. And uh, Seymour eventually buys Eli's mom's house. So uh, this uh, even fuels their friendship. And they, you know, they get into this really dangerous uh, drug-fueled friendship. And the whole time, you know, Eli's trying to do as little as possible in life, the ultimate slacker. And uh, it, it does get to a, there's a point in the novel where they're having a real bender and it involves lots of pills and, and cocaine and, and Viagra and all this kind of stuff. And uh, let's just put it this way. When it's the middle of winter and, uh, you know, like, or, you know, it's cold and the high school football game's coming up, it's a really bad idea to mix, you know, Oxycontin and Viagra and pass out half naked on the foot- football field. Like hours before the big game. <laughs> uh oh. Again. <laughs> so let's just say Eli is uh, passed out in the football field, standing at attention, and, uh, you know, half naked, member out, and he becomes a YouTube sensation. So that's kind of the low point for Eli in the novel. Uh, lots of funny parts in this book. It's really funny. Uh, I mean, I can almost just pick a spot at random here also and, and read any of the, the text and, um, and his writing. Adam Wilson, he writes like a poet. Uh, just very, very, very well written. Uh, very funny. And most of the funny parts in this book are when uh, Wilson is writing Eli Schwartz's inner monologue. You know, Eli thinking to himself or talking to himself. It's like this bizarre trip through this kid's mind. <laughs> you know, and because it's written like like pro, like poetry, uh, you really get a sense of uh, what this kid's thinking and what this slacker is thinking. Uh, I had a lot of fun uh, to the point. I'm going to write a full review of this one and put it on bookguys.ca. Um, flat screen by Adam Wilson, guys. Check it out. Um, if you like the slacker novels, and like I said, this is one where I immediately, as halfway through reading it, I had to pull out the catcher in the rye and uh, give that another read soon to my favorite slacker novel right there. Good times. Adam Wilson. And I think that one is uh, already out. I believe you can get it in bookstores near you. I'll put a link on the site as well. Now, uh, Mr. Phillips, you did an interview with Mark Coggins this week. Uh, yes, I did. It was a very good interview too. I know I heard it. We're going to play it soon. Um, so Mark Coggins. So when did you uh, get into reading his work? I, I first stumbled on him probably two years ago now, something like that. Okay. Uh, he writes uh, detective fiction. Um, his his main uh, series uh, is surrounds a private investigator um, by the name of August Reardon, and it's really a um, you know a, like a, a Dashiell Hammett novel set in the modern day. Nice. They, they all are very excellent work. Okay, and so we're going to play that interview you did with him uh, right now, actually, and we'll be right back after that, gentlemen. And I think, Mr. Greg, we have a bunch of book news this week. I have a bunch, yeah. There you go. You know. Uh, so joining me is Mr. Mark Coggins. Mark is the author of the August Reardon series, uh, The Immortal Game, Vulture Capital, Candy from Strangers, Runoff, and The Big Wake Up. Mark, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. I certainly appreciate it. If I can uh, take a moment and get my uh, get my fanboy moment out, I love your work. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. I, I really appreciate that. There's not that many people that all <laughs> to own up to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of August Reardon and the uh, the August Reardon novels. So it's uh, quite a pleasure to be able to talk to you. Well, thank you. A lot of times with modern crime fiction, any time that the you know the, this 
the sort of private eye noir motif is touched on, uh, it often kind of either, at least my perspective, it often falls into, you know, either the realm of parody or pastiche. And I don't really see that with uh, with your work and with the character of August Reardon as well. It, it seems it seems a very kind of honest attempt to say. You know, this is, you know, if Philip Marlowe were alive today instead of 50 years ago, this is who he would be. Well, that's really kind of you to say, because, you know, that's exactly, you know, what I'm trying to aim for. Um, you know, there's uh, there's all sorts of parodies of Raymond Chandler and, and Hammett. Uh, you know, Woody Allen wrote a couple of great short stories, which, you know, just perfectly nail in a humorous way the, the style. And and you're right. It's walking a fine line. It's it's hard to sort of evoke all the similes and the metaphors without, as you say, seeming to be a pastiche or something like that. So uh, it is kind of a challenge. And I, I think the way that I try to do it is I I do I mean all the similes and things that he says and all the the way that he interacts with the world is you know is reflecting his experience in the modern world. He's not within limits. He's not cutting out, uh, you know, new experiences and things like that. So uh, for the most part, I'm trying to have him live in the 21st century, but still have a sensibility that's um, more like what some of those other heroes from uh, earlier noir fiction or earlier detective fiction would have had. With the novels, The Immortal Game, Vulture Capital, Candy from Strangers, Runoff, and The Big Wake Up, which which are all wonderful, but I do have to ask you one thing, because it seems to me that there's that there was one kind of excerpt there that almost struck a little bit of a dissonant chord, but I think you handled it pretty well, but it was still a little odd, and that's Vulture Capital. Specifically, the, um, the almost science fiction-esque, the neurostimics technology, the, you know, the, the almost uh, James Bond villain lair with all the, you know, the big underground lair with all the, all the workers... Because I, I read your novels in order, you know, as as any good fan would do, of course. And so I was I was a little concerned, quite frankly, as I was going through Vulture Capital, thinking, well, wait a second, you know, this is it's a wonderful look at, you know, that kind of late '90s Silicon Valley venture capital. Because I, I was right there chasing after, you know, chasing after my own share of uh, share of capital. But I, I was a little concerned as to where the series was going after that novel. And was glad to see that it really didn't head down that road. No, that's uh, that's a fair question and actually a perceptive question. Vulture Capital is sort of a, a path not taken or an appendix that you know a vestigial appendix from another uh, possible uh, you know alternative fictional universe. So what happened was uh, I wrote uh, the Immortal Game. Uh, I took a year off from work and worked on it. I had I'd written. Uh, you know the the short story, and uh, it eventually got published in um, a revival of the Black Mask magazine, which was where Hammond and, and Chandler got their start. So that was a big thrill. I actually got published in the same place the first time that those two got published the first time. Uh, and then I had submitted a short story version of the Immortal Game to the magazine, and unfortunately, it folded before they were able to publish it. 
So I threw that story, which was quite long, into a drawer, and it sat there for, oh, 10 or 12 years. And then I said, well, hey, you know, I'm going to pull this out and, and write a novel based on this story. So I expanded it, I twisted it, and I, you know, changed it enough to have the dramatic flow and arc of a novel. And... Um, went out and shopped for an agent, and I started with the A's in the agent book, and I landed one who, whose name started with an A, and I thought, okay, I'm launched. And so she then shopped it in New York, and um, she shared with me all the letters she got back, and they were all very nice. What they all said was, you know, 10 years ago, we would have bought this book, uh, really enjoyed it, but, you know, there's just not, private eye fiction just isn't that popular right now. I'm sorry, we're going to pass. And repeatedly, you know, bing, bing, bing. And I, I looked back at those letters not too long ago, and there's some very famous editors who rejected me back then, but um, who were just getting started. But um, so I was kind of discouraged, and I put the novel back in a drawer, and I said, okay, you know, private eye fiction isn't the thing to write. I'm going to write a thriller set in Silicon Valley, which has to do with venture capital, and uh, which I, I had worked for a venture capital company. And you're right, you know, of course, what I was also trying to do was sort of convey that weird world in the, at the uh, end of the 90s when, you know, all these crazy startups were happening. And I was a co-founder of a startup during that time, so I sort of had a feel for that. Uh, and so I wrote that book. And in the meantime, um, I got a small publisher to bite on the immortal game and it got published. And I did, I frankly didn't have that much expectation for it. It was a very small publisher. Uh, but for some reason, the San Francisco Chronicle took pity on me and they did a review and they gave it a great review. And all these crazy things started happening. It got a review on NPR. It got picked for a number of um, best of the year lists. It was uh, nominated for some awards. And so all of a sudden I had all this attention about a character that I'd included in the second book just because I liked the character, but didn't ever expect him necessarily to be able to, you know, be where I was uh, doing most of my writing. So at that point, you know, I probably made a wrong decision. I could have shelved Vulture Capital, which was done at that point and gone on with, uh, a new book for Reardon, but I, I decided that I thought, and the publisher I was working with also agreed that we should go with Vulture Capital. So I'm proud of the book, but I don't, it's interesting. The people who like that book don't necessarily like the other books and the people that like the other books don't necessarily like it. So it's, it is sort of an odd thing. Reardon is more of a character in that book rather than uh, the protagonist. He certainly doesn't drive the story as much as he does in as you say, basically all the rest of them. Yes, but there's one interesting thing about that book that most people don't know. If you ever get hold of a first edition of it and you peel off the dust jacket and you look on the uh, the boards, there's a glass key embedded on the board. And that book is actually a homage to Dashiell Hammett's The Glass Key. And it, it's not really a homage in the sense that the plot is the same or anything like that, but it's written in this odd sort of third-person objective style that The Glass Key is written in. And the main character of The Glass Key, I don't know if you read it, is a guy named Ned Beaumont. And the main character in Vulture Capital is Ted Valmont. And there are some similarities slight similarities in some of the plot points they hit. But as I said, it's really not the same sort of thing, obviously, since The Glass Key was written in the 30s. But the whole point was it was an exercise in voice and uh, point of view. Um, 
sort of as a homage to Hammett. So there is some detective fiction, if you will, heritage in the book, even if it doesn't, if you're right, it is more science fiction-y than, than anything else I've written. If we then jump forward, the last, the most recent uh, Reardon novel is The Big Wake Up, which, to my mind, is, is the best of the five. It's just an amazing story. Well, thank you for uh, your assessment of the book. I, I agree with you. I, you know, I've always, I mean, always, I haven't, it's only been out for a couple of years, but I felt that I definitely wrote the best book I could when I wrote that book. Yeah, and, and that book is a lot different than all the others. If you, I'm sure you realize, all the others have some kind of technology hook because I work in the Silicon Valley. So this one doesn't. Uh, I just decided to abandon that and go with something that I thought was sort of very bizarre, but it's also very interesting in a lot of ways. Certainly, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best of the five, but it's also a very dark novel. It seems much darker than the other ones. And it, it really seems to end with even more so none of the Reardon novels does Reardon really come off or really really end up as you know he he doesn't get the girl he doesn't ride off into the sunset but even more so than the rest of them it seems to leave him in kind of a dark place by the end of the book yeah I think you're you're absolutely right that was the intention I, I, I mean I didn't well let me put it this way that was where I ended up after I wrote the book. I'm not sure I set out to write the book that way, but I think you're right. He has come to a place that, you know, I'm not sure he's really going to get out of, and I'm not sure there will be another written book. I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure there will be. There's a couple other sort of layers in there uh, that I think are sort of interesting, or at least in my opinion, they are. I, one is I liked, I enjoyed bringing back the character of Stockwell, who's been in several of the other books, and... He and Reardon have butted heads, and in the end, Stockwell is kind of a partner in a way that his other sidekick couldn't be in, in helping him in a time when Reardon was really in the hole. And so that that I enjoyed, sort of having that come back. Another thing that uh, I think most people probably won't get, and I'll get sued by the Chandler estate, but if you, if you do uh, a little research on the background of, say, if you reread... Farewell, My Lovely, and look into the character of Anne Reardon, uh, there may be something you might guess about the heritage of, of Reardon <laughs> as, a result of, uh, as a result of doing that. Sounds like you might have gotten the inside joke. But... I see, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure I had actually put those together, but I uh, can see where you're going with that. Um, so that was going to be my next question. So you, at the moment, you don't have any plans for a sixth Reardon novel? I have a plot in mind. I have him, as you know, he goes back to Palm Springs to, at the end of the book, well, yes, at the end of the, of, of the last book, he goes back to Palm Springs. He buries, he, he visits the grave of his father and he buries some, some folks near his father. And uh, if, the plot I have in mind is he's, left San Francisco, and he's moved to Palm Springs. He's retired from private investigations. He's living in a trailer, you know, in a complex there, and somebody from his past shows up. But um, uh, And I think that's about all I would say at this point. So I have, a, I have it in mind, but he's definitely a different Reardon than he used to be. So uh, I think he's, he was definitely changed by this last book in, in significant ways. As, as a reader, I, th I would think it would be a little disingenuous if he, he shows up at the beginning of Reardon number six and he's the, you know, the same kind of happy-go-lucky devil-may-care we saw back in The Immortal Game. I think you're right. So 
what's next for Mark Coggins? You have, um, uh, at least according to your website, uh, Prom Night and Other Man-Made Disasters, which is coming soon, whatever that means. Yeah, that's right. I have. I, I spent the last uh, year and a half working on a collection of nonfiction essays. They're sort of first person. It's sort of meant to be like what David Sedaris does, but of course it'll never be as good as what he does or, or as funny. But, um, you know, that was kind of the motivation behind it. So I've, I've, I've published a few of these by themselves on Huffington Post or the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, and so I'm kind of pulling them all together in a collection and I'm going to put that out. And, you know, frankly, this is just a self-published operation, if you will. Uh, I'm not, I didn't even try to shop it with a publisher. It's just something I'm doing on my own. When do you expect that'll be available? I think uh, mid-April is what uh, what we're shooting for. I had um, it professionally edited by uh, a well-regarded New York editor who just had completed uh, the latest Tom Clancy book, so I was very honored to be, <laughs> to be following Tom Clancy. Nice. And... and uh, yeah, so it should be out uh, on ebook and uh, available as a trade paperback as well in uh, the April time frame. Okay. Well, thank you once again for joining me. People can find you on the web, of course, at uh, markcoggins.com, I believe it is. That's right. And you are also on Goodreads, of course. Indeed. Anywhere else that... Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not a very good tweeter, I'm afraid. And you're welcome to friend me on Facebook at, or... Uh, Google Plus. Okay, excellent. I shall be doing all of those things. <laughs> uh, very hopefully good. our listeners will run out and uh, make their way through the Reardon novels if they haven't already and follow along for your next work. So, Mark, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you again. Hey, this is Jeff Smith, the guy who does all the jingles from thejeffsmith.com, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Book Guys! That was a great interview, by the way, and... Uh... Mr. Phillips, uh, that looks interesting. Vent uh, Vulture ca Capital? Uh, Vulture Capital is the second book, yeah. There's uh, five books total in the Reardon series. Okay. Uh, hopefully someday we'll see a sixth. I was just taking I a look have, at the, I have, the to get my, I have to get my quick plug in there for, um, for anyone who enjoyed that interview. Uh, that's actually a cut-down, heavily edited <laughs> Uh, right. version of the full interview I did, which is closer to half an hour. Nice. Uh, which will be running on uh, a little podcast uh, called Nil Desperandum uh, next week. Is that the one that's at ndstories.com? That'd be the same one, yes. <laughs> Good times. Shameless. Shameless. That's that's what we're all about here. Shameless <laughs> plugs, folks. And uh, speaking of shameless plugs, well, let's go on to the uh, listener feedback. I have a little quick, a bunch of quickies here. Uh, I had from uh, on Twitter, uh, from ac at Blackthorn Coven. Uh, it says, Paul the Book Guy, no bot should like totally make more appearances on your show. <laughs> he also asks, are you going to review the Inheritance Trilogy? I don't know, gentlemen, are we going to review the Inheritance Trilogy? We just I might. I'm in, uh, I'm in the middle of book one. I paused that to uh, burn through the, uh, what do we call it, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire. Ah, uh, yes. You got to get ahead of your mom and, uh, and your wife. I'm ahead of my wife now. All right. So you now hold the spoiler power. <laughs> yes, I hold the spoiler power, but not over my mom. She's into book four. So, uh, Mr. Hubbard's heart on Twitter says, uh, thanks for the follow. He loves our blog and our hearts are in the right place. And uh, book blogger, Mr. Alan Middleton, who is Professor Alan on uh, Twitter, says uh, he just listened to his superhero, Green Lantern, audio, 
And he says the graphic audio has turned a lot of DC stories into full cast uh, audio dramas, and he really enjoys them. And uh, he's over at eyesandearsblog.blogspot.com, and he is going to be joining us as a guest in a future episode of uh, Book Guys. Did someone say our hearts are in the right place? Isn't that like saying I have a girl that I want you to meet and date, and she's really nice? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what we do have coming up next? Book news. Here's a jingle I haven't played in a while. Comic books, comic books, comic books. As I turn on my iPad here, uh, big news in the for the iBook store. The comic books have finally arrived. Comic books and graphic novels. Uh, now you don't have to fire up the Comixology app. They are available in the iBook store as well. Uh, I got to say, I like the Comixology app because of the way it goes panel by panel through the comic book. But I really like the. It looks like a hardcover design that they have on the. Uh, uh, on the, the comic books. There's a bunch free available. Uh, Canadian store selection is very, very, very limited for now. Uh, but no they surprise. are free. I'm looking at a new Avengers and just the way you turn the pages, it really feels like I'm, I'm reading a comic book. Uh, except it only works well in uh, landscape mode. So it's like I have a really cool Portuguese comic. I don't know if you've ever seen the size of some of the international comics, but it looks like a little novel-sized comic. But, uh, international novel, international comic books are landscape. I have a pile of uh, Portuguese ones here, and I believe Mexican ones that are all uh, about the size of your hand. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, weird. I'll put. You know, I should put some pictures of some of this weird stuff I have here. Uh, I mean, book wise, anyways, not the other weird stuff. Leave that for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Would those get on Smashwords? Uh, sorry. Would those get pulled off of Smashwords? Uh, no, I don't have anything that weird. <laughs> All right. Uh, and uh, Mr. Phillips, you have a couple of news items. I believe so do you, Greg. This is when yes, I just I sort do. of push my microphone back and let you guys fight over it. <laughs> uh, you go first, Greg. All right. I have a bunch. Uh, basically, Rolling Stones have announced that they're going to have a 50th anniversary uh, autobiography. Uh, that's going to be out this uh, this spring. Do you guys believe that the Rolling Stones have been performing for 50 years? Yeah, you know, and that's probably just like this episode is going to be flagged as explicit because of our conversation at the beginning. I think that episode is going to be explicit as well when we talk about their life. Yeah, so there you go, 50 years. I took my daughter to the uh, movies the other day, uh, last night, sorry, and uh, we went to go see The Phantom Menace in 3D. I figured that if I'm going to have my kids start Star Wars, they should start at number one. It's in theaters in 3d why not better what better place to start and uh in the process oh by the way 3d adds nothing to that movie um <laughs> even even the pod race is like i don't get it but screw you george um, lucas well i don't know i like phantom <laughs> minutes it has the best we can talk about that in another yeah. another <laughs> podcast but uh saw the uh first they they had us put our glasses on and that's when they ran the trailer for the hobbit Ah. So the Hobbit in the Hobbit in 3D. So I've seen the trailer for the Hobbit now in 3D, and I get it. It looks really, okay. really good. Even just static, non-fight uh, sequences look. It looks really neat the way they layer the characters. It's very, uh, very much like Avatar, where things just work. I, I got to say, I'm a big fan it, of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I have read the Hobbit. And I remember as I'm reading it, thinking. The only way this could be interesting is if the things popped out of the book at me. 
So yep. maybe <laughs> it looks like a pop-up book almost. It's very, nice. <laughs> very well done. Very well okay. done. And, and it's engaging. Brings you in. Uh, let me see. What are we going to say? The Lorax opened up this weekend and already has uh, surpassed $70 million. Uh, has already passed. Where's the actual number? Has already surpassed its $70 million production budget. So yeah. it's already made its money back in one weekend. Parents, Everything make room on your DVD shelves now. Parents of small children. That's the one's going to be popped in and out of the DVD player in between sandwiches. So this is the number one grossing, uh, number one opening Dr. Seuss feature so far. Uh, beats the Grinch's $55 million. So there you go. There's that. Uh, the co- conversely, another comic book adaptation that's out. Uh, did four point five, uh, four point seven million. That's the uh, Ghost Rider Two: Spirit of Vengeance. Four point five million is probably just 4. like what 5 they five million. That's what yeah. they paid for, like removing the blue M and M's out of his bowl in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, that was like, bad. That was just a bad movie. <laughs> they may not recoup their their production on that one. There you go. So there you go. Uh, speaking of super awesome production, uh, Entertainment Tonight did a featurette and they put it online on the new Avengers movie uh, features the helicarrier. And um, that now follows the trailer number two that they released that uh, Marvel released last week. So the Avengers propaganda is ramping up. The machine is uh, well oiled, well oiled. Now we're not going to sit around and talk about the Oscars that happened last week. We'll, we'll congratulate that uh, Hugo and the help, which both took home multiple Oscars. Still highly recommend, even if you have read the book, check out the help movie. Uh, what, a great rendition of the book. I, I, yeah, I don't have my list in front of me, but they both picked up multiple Oscars and, and deservedly so. But uh, there's that one film. Uh, it was a silent film that won as well. Um, and, oh, it won for mm-hmm. silent <laughs> It won for Best Short Animated Short, and that was The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore. Ah, and yes. Yes, we I posted got, that one on the site uh, a couple weeks ago. There you go. There you go. It, it won the Oscar, and it is now free online. Oh, I got to go you back go. and uh, change the story so it doesn't say uh, Oscar nominated. It's Oscar winning now, and go. it uh, is free online at, at the YouTubes, yeah. and you can just go and get that one. Yeah, you can search and the site. We actually have it in HD. It's uh, it is worth the, the the watch. Very well done. Super. It's it's really cool. And again, it, it just proves that you don't need a whole bunch of crummy dialogue. Speaking of crummy <laughs> dialogue, I, George Lucas, Episode Two, guy cannot write. He cannot write romance. I just one last thing I want to talk about was. That you did tonight uh, on ABC is the premiere of a program that they're calling GCB, and people are saying they're saying, why can't they? What what does GCB stands for, and why are we talking about it on a book podcast? This uh, series is inspired by a book uh, from Kim Gatlin called "Good Christian Bitches." All right, and it's uh, basically a bunch of ladies down in Dallas who uh, rival the Desperate Housewives. It's supposed to be really funny, and uh, this is this is going to be the new big thing, hopefully, for ABC. There Good go. Christian Bitches on ABC premieres tonight. And Mr. Phillips, you got a couple here, I see. Yeah, 
we can uh, spin back around to Smashwords. Uh, in addition to <coughs> fighting PayPal, uh, on the uh, the good news, uh, they've signed a deal with Baker and Taylor uh, to distribute Smashwords books as ebooks to libraries. Ah, nice. Uh, Baker and Taylor is, at least they claim to be, uh, the largest distributor of ebooks. Oh, are they the ones? Libraries, that, uh, so what's that system called that they have? Oh, it's yes, they uh, they're huge. Yep. So hopefully we'll see uh, some of those independent Smashwords authors uh, showing up at your local library in the ebook section. Yeah. What what Baker and Taylor does is uh, they take away the whole nightmare that libraries were having with Kindles only taking this kind of book and iPads only taking this kind of book. They make a universal system uh, that basically uh, will work with every tablet. They they sift through all the DRM issues and uh, give libraries a one-stop solution so that uh, they can service their customers, uh, whether they like Apple or Kindle or uh, Android or whatever. Yeah, so that'll be something to look forward to. Uh, also in uh, library news, uh, and in, of course, uh, J.K. Rowling news, um, the author so popular that she needed her own DRM platform. Boo! Boo! <laughs> Apparently, has decided that uh, Harry Potter needs to be at your library in an ebook form and your school. Um, and they are working with uh, Overdrive to distribute uh, the Harry Potter series as ebooks to your local school and your local library. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it because her website's still under construction. You still can't buy an ebook. Yeah, given that. Yeah, given the given the amazing success that Pottermore has been, you know, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, well, Pottermore is just a joke. I, I, <laughs> I still stand by. I think that's why she fired her agent. So, <laughs> I, can, hope so. I don't think anybody can argue against that. I mean, she's just <laughs> that's just a joke. That's. But I believe she has some uh, some new good news as well. Some other yes. good news. Yes, well, potentially good news. Uh, she is writing a new novel. Uh, they have announced it. Um, they haven't said anything about it in terms of a title or even a genre or a style, uh, other than um, it's for adults. There you go. <laughs> so uh, we'll see Fake. what she's at. Yeah, she's Indeed. taking taking a break from the, yeah. the Harry Potter series for sure. I mean, to be honest, you know, to be to follow up that kind of success is is going to be a rough ride and. You know, no matter what she comes out with, it's yeah. She, I'm she, sure the sales are going to you know end up being comparatively disappointing. But well, I don't know. A lot, a lot of her her young fans of uh, you know, if she makes it a young adult novel, I don't know. If she makes it like, uh, I don't know. The way they keep saying it's for adults, they make it sound like it's going to be a porn or something. But uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of her her younger crowd has uh, has grown up, and you know, they've moved on to you know uh, adult books, and uh, maybe she uh, she'll do fine with this. What did yeah. what did my father say about adult? Adult books, if it doesn't have a pizza man and it's, or, or sorry, adult movies. Never mind. He used to say fant- it was fantasy. <laughs> adult fantasy. Adult fantasy. That's right. If it didn't have a pizza man, yeah. it wasn't adult fantasy. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've, I've got a quick quickie here. There's a gentleman. Uh, here we go. I've got another one too. If you if you run out, if we still have time. Yeah, we, we might have some time. Uh, a gentleman uh, is. Out of this is out of Richmond. This is from the Times of India. Uh, there's a gentleman who is putting together a digital arc, or not a digital arc, uh, an actual book arc, uh, in case of digital disaster. So every week he's taking in twenty thousand <coughs> new books. Uh, a lot of them are donations from universities and libraries, and uh, he's basically putting them into uh, 
shipping containers stacked too high or whatever. It says too high, but he's probably going to have to go higher than that. So he's kind of a, a ba- making a apocalyptic uh, you know, safeguard in case the entire internet and the digital age just for some reason comes to a halt. You know, um, could be a good investment for him if it actually happens. You're like, you guys want books? I got them all. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Sometimes you gamble. <laughs> If our electricity grid goes down, you ain't surfing Amazon for nothing. Just saying. Just saying. Uh, any other book news this week, gentlemen? Oh, by the way, I just want to say that uh, our book news segments are now going to be also clipped out and uh, inserted into the uh, All Talk 24-7 book stream. Uh, we've got about 12 book shows that have expressed interest and are going to be on the stream, including Book Guys and our upcoming Top Secret podcast, which is coming soon. And uh, you'll be hearing the book news throughout the day. And uh, if we ever feel like recording a late-breaking book news, it will also insert that into the stream. So that's we're not, all we're not telling people about book cats just yet. Just no, yet. not yet. <laughs> book cats. That'd be fun. Meow. Okay. Hey, <laughs> in the spirit, I just wanted this one's totally. It's, it's got to be a joke, but in the in the spirit of mashups. Cowboy Ninja Viking. Okay. This is a graphic novel that's been around for a while. Actually, it's it was released uh, late early two thousands. They're making a movie out of it, and it just signed the Monster Ball director. Dude's name is Riley Russo. There you go. And no. you know another book mashup. Another mashup. How about book guy NASCAR driver? How'd that go, by the way, Jimmy? <laughs> that must have been fun. I was the, the third third fastest guy all day. It was it was pretty crazy. It was like two hours of waiting and watching and standing in line. And if the wind hadn't been so bad, everybody could have probably went a little bit faster. But they said you can't do it unless you watch this video. And I, and I was booking it down Interstate 85 trying to get to this place. <laughs> said you got to be there by 3, 301, 302 tops. Well, I get there and I, I have to go sprint and try to find the little room where you're watching the video. I finally get in there. They play the video about 45 seconds, and it's just as bad as Skype. It kept cutting out and dropping. <laughs> what does the video say? Turn left, turn left, oh, turn oh, left, yeah, turn, turn, turn left. left, do this, you know, don't run in the grass. Uh, and anyway, the, the thing, the video broke. So I got some old man sitting up in front, and he's telling me, here's what's in the video. Okay. Right. There's like, you know, 50 people in there, all in their NASCAR suits. And anyway, it got out there. It was it was awesome. It hit uh, probably... 90 miles an hour by the time you got off pit road zoomed around five laps well worth the trip it was hard to get back in traffic and and not feel like shoving somebody into the guardrail nice (laughs) i'll write a book about it yeah write a book about it while you're driving the nascar uh ladies and gentlemen that was lots of fun uh see you next week my name is paul the book guy i'm greg the book guy it was mark forrester who's the director (laughs) i'm jim the book guy this is sir jimmy And this is uh, Kamazi Constable. Honored to be here again. See you next week, folks. Same book time, same book channel. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time, same book channel. Mm